The Heal Podcast has been created to explore my favorite ingredients for a long-term, sustainable, healthy human experience. We take an informed look into topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being, as well as expanding consciousness. Heal stands for healthy eating and living, so why not sit back, relax, be present, and enjoy the conversations about this unique gift we were all given called life. If you feel this podcast has resonated with you, please feel free to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues, as the gift of knowledge is something wondrous. Thank you for your open hearts and minds. Alrighty, let's get into some delicious healing. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. Today's podcast features Ben Greenfield. Whether you want to become the complete mental athlete with a flawless brain and nervous system, attain an ideal human body that fires on all cylinders from performance to beauty to hormones and beyond, or achieve true and lasting health, happiness and longevity, Ben combines intense time in the trenches with ancestral wisdom and modern science to make your dreams a reality. To find out more about Ben Greenfield, please visit his website, bengreenfieldfitness.com B-E-N-G-R-E-E-N-F-I-E-L-D F-I-T-N-E-S-S dot com Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you, brother? Well, thank you so much for having me and I suppose Let's anyone wonder if you and I are actually professional and wear our big boy pants. I think we established via our quick video meeting before this podcast, neither of us is wearing barely any clothing at all. <laughs> I'm in an Airbnb in my underwear, and I think here you were somewhere shirtless drinking a beer. <laughs> well, it wasn't a beer. It was actually a switch or one of those apple cider vinegar soft drinks. Yeah, sure it was. Sure it was. <laughs> but, you know, I gave up the beer quite some time ago. And this has been a long time coming, this conversation. So I, I think last time we tried to do it, you had an attack of something coming out one end or both ends. <laughs> I think I had Giardia. I was in a wilderness survival camp, and I'm pretty sure I had Giardia. I think that's what happened. And it wasn't pretty. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends if you're one of those abstract painters who likes to paint with, you know, 
splashes and sprays of the paintbrush. I suppose you could make an argument that it was pretty, but for me, it was a, it was a lesson in, you know, what I do with any of this stuff is I try to kind of like figure out how to take care of health issues using as efficient and also as natural or non-damaging a method as possible. You know, like a lot of my blog posts or my podcasts are based around stuff I've had to heal on myself or figure out for myself, like whether it's like how to do an Ironman on a low carb or a ketogenic diet or, you know, how to build muscle in a short period of time using natural means or, you know, how to get rid of staph or MRSA naturally. With the Giardia thing, I actually learned a lot. Like I discovered all these peptides and some different herbal remedies and a bunch of anti-giardial strategies that allow you to fix it up pretty fast, most notably without having to get on antibiotics. So I wrote a big blog post about it, but it's, yeah, I learned a lot about that thing. It's a nasty little like super villain. It, it has these flagellal tails, almost like sperm, and it swims around your duodenum and your jejunum part of your small intestine and it attaches to the gut cells got like these suction cups on it and then it just starts to wreak damage you would know this being in the nutrition sector it's basically got lectins all over its surface so the lectins just essentially go to town they damage all your microvilli and they'll stay in there sometimes like dormant and then get active and, and they can attack you like six weeks later and keep attacking you for years and years you don't get rid of them they're really really creepy so how did you get rid of them I did a lot of stuff. The main stuff that I used was like natural compounds. I did a ton of garlic, but because garlic causes a bunch of fermentation, which is why it's often recommended for people who have like bloating or gas to avoid garlic. They, mm -hmm. they do like a low, what's called a low FODMAP diet, which is very low in garlic. What I used was a garlic supplement called Allicin or Alamax rather was what it was called. It has all the components that garlic has without like the fermentability. And then I did a bunch of probiotics because those can actually interfere with the Giardia infection. They compete for the adhesion site where the Giardia kind of like sticks to the lining of your gut. So I took a special probiotic made by this company called Seed because it, it bypasses the acidic nature of the stomach and actually makes its way to your small intestine. So I did that. I did oil of oregano. That's always in my travel bag anyways because it's got really good antiviral and antibacterial activity. Really, really good and antifungal too. Like if anybody has candida. Oregano is really good for that. And then I did, so normally I would have done this stuff called berberine. Berberine is also really, really fantastic for anybody's medicine cabinet because it's really good in, in acting kind of similarly to oregano, but it's also good to have on hand, like if you eat a high-carb meal because it will keep your blood glucose in check after a high-carb meal. But I do a lot of like wild plant harvesting and foraging outside my house in Washington mm -hmm. State. And there's something called organ grape that you can dig up the root of and kind of like shave the root on it. And it's got this really cool bear brain like compound in it. So I made tea out of the uh, organ grape and drank that a few times a day. And then the last thing that I think really helped out was this peptide. There's this peptide called LL37. Mm -hmm. Peptides are just these little amino acid sequences. They're getting really popular in the health and fitness sector right now. Okay. And fat loss. But there's some that can be used for gastric inflammation or for parasites or bacterial infections. And there's one called LL37. And so I just injected that one a couple of times a day for like a week. And then the only other thing, and, and this is kind of relevant to anybody who has gut issues, like anything like that, an antibiotic regimen, giardia, stress, anything that would produce like really pronounced leaky gut, you want to heal the gut afterwards. So once I finished all that and I was asymptomatic, 
I did a whole bunch of coconut yogurt, which for me is just incredibly nourishing to the gut. I make it at home. I buy these tablets off of Amazon. They're made of this specific strain called L-Ruteri, mm-hmm. which is R-E-U-T-E-R-I. So I basically mix that with coconut milk, and then I just let it sit in the oven for about 24 hours at a really low temp, and it ferments and makes this really good yogurt that's super nourishing to the gut. So I did a bunch of that. I also did a bunch of this compound that's been shown to heal leaky guts in everyone from infants to like athletes who are exercising in the heat or doing extreme exercise, which is a state in which your gut becomes really permeable. And that's colostrum. So I did colostrum in the morning and in the evening. And then I just did a ton of bone broth, which is just amazing for the gut. And it's also, I think a lot of people might not know this, bone broth has actually been shown to inhibit a little bit of the parasitic activity in the gut. If you blend it up with black peppers, you can add like black pepper to bone broth and it's actually really, really good for the gut as well. So those are a few of the things I did. That was a fantastic podcast. Thanks for being on the channel, Ben. (laughs) 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 Mate, that was awesome. I'm only joking. But what I love about this is you seem to be one of the most curious adventurers in this space that I know of. Nothing is off limits to you. And what you just talked about then was the ancient wisdom, but also the modern science as well. And tell me about how you marry those two very different approaches into your philosophy for life, the ancient wisdom and the modern science and medicine. Well, I guess like a good example would be this whole concept of biohacking that a lot of people are into now. And many of the so-called biohacks that people are using are good examples of modern science. I don't necessarily think that some of them should be used extensively because many of them are like shortcuts that take you away from ancestral or natural living. But, you know, if you look at like the use of infrared light panels or infrared saunas, right? Like the infrared light's really good for your mitochondria and it can be good for your skin and it can be good for detoxification. But sunlight gives you all of that stuff along with vitamin D and a little bit of UVA and UVB, which people think is bad, but it's actually good for you in small amounts. That radiation, it's got what's called a hormetic effect. It kind of makes you stronger in small amounts and increases your resilience to something like skin cancer. And so that's a situation where, yeah, I'll use infrared light. Like when I'm traveling, I'll have like one of the little portable panels with me or when I'm in my office and I can't get out in the sunshine or it's super cloudy in Washington state, like I'll use an infrared sauna or an infrared light panel but I always marry that with, you know, getting as much of a daily dose of sunlight as I can. Or another example would be this concept of like all these electrical mats. They're usually advertised like grounding mats or earthing mats that you can stand on to get some of the anti-inflammatory benefits you'd normally get if you were outside barefoot or like, you know, climbing rocks or, you know, touching trees or walking in the sand along the beach or swimming in the ocean. Like the earth has these really great healing effects. There's an entire book about this called Grounding. I recently interviewed the author of my podcast, Clint Ober. It was just fascinating to hear all the health effects of getting in touch with Mother Earth. But at the same time, like, you know, I was recently in Dubai speaking over there and, you know, I'm staying in these like high-rise buildings where I'm not connected to the earth at all. They're walking around in rubber-soled shoes in many cases where I'm also not connected to the earth. So I traveled with like a little portable grounding mat that I put underneath my sheets that allows me to kind of like stay grounded while I'm sleeping. But that doesn't mean I don't go outside barefoot. I don't try to get in touch with the planet 
It's just something that I use along with that natural living approach. There, there are other examples like, you know, cryotherapy chambers are really popular, but you know, you should also make sure you're getting out in cold rivers and lakes and oceans and natural bodies of water. Another example would be like all these fancy water machines, you know, structured water and deuterium depleted water, hydrogen water, and, you know, all these modern scientific newfangled versions of water. But, you know, I think everybody should make it a point to find a good spring near their home. If there is one, you know, use a website like findaspring.com, maybe occasionally go on a hike and go collect some water and bring it back and like get in touch with nature that way. Or I guess the final example would be just like supplementation, right? Which arguably is kind of like modern science, even though our ancestors supplemented, you know, things like mortar and pestle and grinding things into a powder or making tinctures or oils. Nowadays, we've got encapsulation technology and tableting and all these ways to take our supplements. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I could go buy like a bare marine supplement for something like blood sugar management or antiparasitic activity. Or I could get in touch with nature and look for something that grows near me, you know, in the area that I live in to get a more intimate connection with my surroundings and go harvest something from that. I'm open to both, but I always ask myself, you know, whenever I'm using something that's like some modern scientific technique, if there's a natural method I could be marrying with that or using instead. Mm. I recently had Luke's story on the podcast and one of the questions that was an interesting one for him after interviewing a couple of hundred people on his own podcast, I asked the question, has your outlook to life become simpler or more complicated due to the information that you have gathered and garnered over the last couple of decades? And I know you are somewhat of a child prodigy with a very high IQ. I read one of your posts recently that said, you're going to be, I guess, moving off in a tangent to know more about yourself from a spiritual, if I'm paraphrasing this right, but at an emotional level, more so than the body hacking. So has your philosophy on life become simpler or more complicated with more information that you have, and especially being a parent too? When it comes to kind of like the bigger picture, yeah. I mean, the information era has brought with it a great deal of complexity that essentially dictates that, you know, we have all of these new discoveries and, you know, every time you open some article on a health or a fitness website or a biohacking website or a nutrition website, there's yet another supplement or yet another peptide or yet another, you know, fitness device or training strategy or biohack. This is something kind of new for humans to just have this constant like matrix like stream of bullets coming out of them from their devices and you know, from conferences and books that just like give them unfettered access to information that really can make life pretty complex. And it certainly, to be very honest with you, it has made my life more complex just, you know, for me particularly, because I'm almost like an immersive journalist, right? I'm trying all this stuff out and going back to the world and reporting on it in a blog or in a podcast. And so, you know, the more information I get my hands on, the more I have to digest and assimilate and try and research and answer questions about. But I also am am very aware of asking myself, you know, is this something that I am becoming increasingly reliant upon for happiness? Is this something I could survive without? Is this something that really moves the dial, right? Is it something I'm just using because I own it? Or does this really make life better? Does it make me sleep better? Does it lower my blood sugar in some way? Does it 
increase my, my mitochondrial density or some other element of fitness. And, you know, I do quantify quite a bit to keep my finger on that pulse. But yeah, I, I think self-awareness is very important. There's a wonderful book. I believe Anthony DeMello is the author. I was just reading it earlier this month called Awareness, you know, really great book on just self-awareness in general and making decisions based on your awareness, not just based on, you know, what the world might have you to do or what you might expect the world wants you to do. So, yeah, I think self-awareness is really important. But yes, life is more complex with all this stream of biohacks and information and, and new health, you know, tools and tactics and strategies. And you referred to the spiritual disciplines. And I think that's really important because, you know, if you look at like the blue zones or these areas where people are living a disproportionately long period of time, there is a lot of simplicity. There is a lot of minimalism. There's not a lot of so-called biohacks or fancy, you know, medication strategies or, you know, whatever, rapamycin or metformin, all these, you know, off-label drugs some people are using for enhancing longevity. And instead you see simple ancestral tactics like family dinners, prioritizing relationships, being in a, in a social setting, having some kind of a belief in a higher power that's often accompanied by the things that accompany a religion, like meditation and prayer and periods of solitude and periods of self-reflection, journaling, gratitude practice, charity and service, worship and singing and celebration. And all of those are you know, really incredibly simple and crucial parts of life. You are correct in an era of my life where I want to be as spiritually fit as I am physically fit. I really want to spend a lot more time building up my spiritual disciplines and my spiritual muscles. And how that's kind of manifesting for me right now is I'm going through the work of authors such as, you know, Richard Foster, who has some great books on the spiritual disciplines. Another book, I don't recall the author, but it's called The Spiritual Disciplines Workbook, where each week I'm kind of going through a new exercise and chapter in that book, you know, practicing things like charity or a week of nightly self-reflection or, you know, a morning and more intensive journaling or periods where meditation is a little bit more emphasized. And I'm now waking every morning. I read the Bible for about 15 minutes, and then I, I close my eyes. I meditate. I finish with prayer, you know, and, and then I, I do some breath work. And then later on, once my family is awake and we're all together, we do a gratitude journaling practice together. We emphasize family dinners. We sing and we do more brief meditation and prayer at night. I'm doing a lot more eye-gazing with my family. I'm trying to get out in situations where I'm singing and immersed in music more. I'm just really, really trying to focus on that part of being a human that, especially in like the fitness and health and nutrition world, tends to be a neglected part of being a human, right? Like a lot of people, they're fit, they're healthy, their nutrition is dialed in, or at least they're heavily focused on it. And a lot of times their spirits, their souls are just kind of shrunken up and shriveled and neglected, or they might duck away for 10 minutes a day to do headspace or calm or something like that. But I think that emphasizing the spiritual disciplines is just as important to health and perhaps even more importantly, like happiness and purpose than, you know, just being, you know, physically fit. I love it, brother. I love it. I'd love to ask you a question about belief systems and how much you believe, funnily enough, how they motivate your decisions in life and what you've learned over the course of your life about your own belief systems that perhaps were inherited from your culture, from your parents, and what you're doing as a parent with that awareness for your own children about them being sponges and perhaps not adopting some of your 
previous belief systems that you might have inherited through your journey as well. I'm sure you've probably investigated this a great deal. Yeah, a big, big part of that is there's certainly value to tradition. And my wife's very good at setting up holiday traditions for us, Christmas traditions, Thanksgiving traditions, Easter traditions. It makes children just feel solid and and secure, and it allows you to build up patterns. You know, even something as simple as the gratitude journaling practice we do as a family, right? I like to think of that as the fact that I'm raising my grandchildren just as much as I'm raising my children, right? So hopefully my children, you know, from a much earlier age than I began to practice it, will kind of like pass on a gratitude journaling practice to their youngsters or, you know, some type of prayer study meditation practice to their children. A lot of these positive things that I'm trying to introduce into their life. And when it comes to the way that I was raised, there are certainly patterns that I could identify that I'm trying to break. You know, everything from the type of diet I was raised on compared to the type of diet that I exposed my children to, to, you know, entertainment and, you know, valuing productive forms of entertainment, such as books or documentaries or or education over and above, you know, violence or, you know, foolish comedies or not that we're against celebration and laughing and, and we're always laughing in our house. And, you know, we even like, you know, watching comedians like, you know, Jim Gaffigan or, you know, or, or even like old school folks like, you know, Red Skelton, for example. And, you know, we're always telling jokes and playing funny games as a family during dinner. But, you know, we're very aware of the, the quality of, you know, what we're exposing our, our minds to from an entertainment standpoint and, you know, entertainment, diet, family dinners, another one, like my family growing up, you know, just kind of be all four quarters to the wind for family dinner. And in our household currently, you know, we all gather for dinner at the end of the day. It's like a, you know, hour, hour and a half long affair, all laughing and playing together as a family, sharing stories from the day. We meditate before dinner, you know, brief meditations to be very aware of our food and our company and our bodies. And, you know, these are the types of things I think really are, important. And so I would say really what I focus on are are breaking traditions that might not have been healthy and then introducing traditions that I really view as raising my grandchildren again, you know, not just my children, but this should always, always be couched with a very important note because it's so easy to blame things on your parents these days. It's so easy to, you know, blame generational trauma on whatever, an addiction or a stress response or aspect of yourself. And I think that sometimes that's not good. I think that I encourage folks to live life basically by the mantra of no regrets, only gratefulness, meaning that rather than having a regret about whatever, the type of diet your parents raised you on, or the way your, your father might have ignored you when you were young, or you know the, the fact that your you know, brother beat you up or something like that, well, maybe the poor diet that you were fed led you to actually be super passionate about and discover nutrition concepts that you might not otherwise have been able to discover and share with other people because you would have just been like on cruise control with your diet. Or maybe the fact that your brother beat you up made you like a super resilient, hardworking person with good body awareness because maybe you entered into a martial art later on in life. Or maybe the fact that your father ignored you made you a little bit more of like a self-reliant person and also fully aware of that. So you are a better, more present father to your children. And so you never know if those negative experiences that you had when you were a child actually wound up turning you and forming you into a better person than you would have been without those difficulties or those traumas. And so, you know, I I live life by kind of that rule of no regrets, only gratefulness. Just be grateful for those moments you experience rather than 
regretting them. And it's just a much more elevated, enlightened state of mind as well when you have that approach. Mm, it seems there's a, a big draw these days to working with entheogens or plant medicines, which seem to deliver that message or understanding of being grateful for all of those experiences and also expressing forgiveness for those experiences along our journeys in a way that some forms, I guess, of modern therapy doesn't seem to grasp or have the same potential as what the use of some of these entheogens or plant medicines can do. And I'm interested to know or understand where you are with any of these journeys and if you've had any of them and if you've had those discoveries yourself. I certainly have utilized many forms of plant medicine from ayahuasca to DMT and, and synthetic derivatives like ketamine or LSD, uh, natural compounds such as psilocybin and uh, synthetic derivatives like uh, MDMA. And, you know, again, like kind of as, as someone who's blogging about researching a lot of these things, sometimes for curiosity, sometimes for greater intention and purpose. And I really like the approach of folks like Stephen Kotler and, and Jamie Wheel with matters such as this, if we're setting aside kind of like the idea of just microdosing with these type of things frequently in very small amounts, which can be useful from a, from a cognitive or, or productivity standpoint, you know, greater uses of these things, you know, like actual journey doses, I think sometimes are overused. I think some people who are on like their 38th ayahuasca trip who have yet to discover themselves or have some kind of a breakthrough or going about it the wrong way, you know, just completely gone to the wind on some substance every single weekend, you know, whether it's a DMT vape pen or whatever, you know, like a hefty dose of ketamine or something like that. And I instead have the approach of a lot of preparation going into anything like that, like a lot of fasting, a lot of abstinence, like a dieta where, you know, there's no alcohol, there's no marijuana, there's very clean eating. You go in uh, with a really good intention, very serious approach, and then a, a very good set and setting. I always have a journal or a digital voice recorder to be able to log any kind of insights that I have when I'm using something like that. And because it can have a pretty significant impact on your neurotransmitters, you know, and, and your and your methyl groups, you know, can exhaust things like serotonin, 5-HTP, and create dopamine imbalances, and you know, turn over methyl groups extremely quickly, and exhaust choline in the brain, cause all these issues. You know, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that, and, you know, I, I use that kind of stuff sparingly, you know, in the same way that I would do something like an Ironman triathlon sparingly because I know the damage that wreaks on my body. You know, I consider this to be like an Ironman triathlon of supplementation. So I go in very seriously, and I think that another big part that's neglected is all the work you must do afterwards in terms of returning to what you've journaled, returning to what you've recorded or transcribed, and really being very, very aware of and focused on implementing the type of discoveries and, and takeaways that you had from a journey like that. So that being said, I'm, I'm not opposed to the use of those things. I just think a little bit more responsibility and intention is often necessary and, and sometimes isn't there. Mm, I love it. Uh, I love your outlook on that as well and, and your understanding. Talking about pillars of health, if we look at I guess my interpretation of this and my perception of our pillars of health, we have obviously nutrition, we have the way that we sleep, we have the way that we move, the way that we breathe, the way that we think and our belief patterns. We also have ways in which we can protect ourselves from 
modern day influences and technologies that are out there. What are your pillars of health and are any more important than another? Like, is there a hierarchical system or something that's more that has more of a priority for somebody if they came to you and they were, they were shattered or they had a disease or where do you start with people? Yeah. You know, I, I agree with many of the pillars of health that you've just outlined. I would say that just about anybody who comes to me, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, anytime I take on a new client or I'm advising someone or doing like a phone or a Skype consult with someone or something like that, I'm usually getting a lot of information. Like I like to look at, at gut tests. I like to look at a blood panel. I like to look at genetic and ancestral data, urinary hormone data, you know, usually like a good food allergy panel. You know, there's, there's a few tests that I really recommend people do, you know, before I would launch into like a really detailed description of what they need to be doing from a workout standpoint, a lifestyle standpoint, you know, supplementation standpoint, et cetera. But that being said, from a foundational point of view, like just about everybody who I talk to, I start with optimizing the body's electricity. I mean, the human body is basically just like a battery. If you look at the, you know, the electrochemical gradient across the cell membrane and the, the way that the mitochondria works to generate ATP, it's all just the movement of electricity through the body. And there are certain things that really keep that human battery, so to speak, very well charged. So what I'm talking about are, oh, there's a few things. Like I, I recommend everybody like I mentioned earlier, you know, get really good amounts of sunlight or use infrared lights. I recommend just let everybody go outside barefoot or use like grounding or earthing products to do that indoors. I also recommend frequent use of heat, such as the sauna or getting a good sweat on on a frequent basis, which also really helps with the electrical potential of the body. The same with cold. Like I recommend almost everybody has some kind of a cold practice, right? So you've got light, grounding and earthing, heat and cold. And then I also recommend everybody tend really well to the quality of their water and like really, really good, clean, pure water intake, along with the use of minerals, which are just electrically charged compounds that can keep the body's charged using like trace liquid minerals or pinches of like a really good salt, like a Celtic salt, or making sure that you're consuming you know, produce grown in really good mineral rich soil. Those are really important for the battery as well. So I say everybody I start off with, you know, grounding and earthing, light, heat, cold, water, and minerals. And if they've got a, you know, decent eating pattern set up and a decent movement pattern in their lives, you know, that's just going to cover like 80% of the bases. When you're talking about a, an eating pattern, do you take your cues from ancestral wisdom? Because I know when I look at what you eat, a lot of it is nose to tail and it is omnivorous. I don't think you're down the carnivore path and I don't think you're on the plant-based path either. I, I see that you've got a, an omnivore's <laughs> approach to food. Has that changed over the years or is that where it's at? Yeah, I eat an omnivorous diet, although there are times in my life where you know I'll switch to a more, you know, almost like a pattern that would be better for healing the gut or managing some type of an immune or inflammatory reaction. Like there are times when I'll cut out roughage and fiber and plants. There are times when I'll cut out seeds and nuts and, you know, same recommendations will make to many people. Like sometimes a more restrictive diet, such as a, you know, a no carnivore diet, or, or in the case of something like, let's say, you know, cancer, or like a more plant-based keto diet. Like there are certain situations where certain more extreme dietary approaches are advisable, but, you know, I'm pretty careful. Even, even like a strict ketogenic diet, I really don't recommend that to anyone unless there's a, you know, it's a situation of cancer or epilepsy or, or something like that. But, you know, for, for me personally, you know, I do a great deal of self modification Like I mentioned, you know, I not only look at my genetics and 
what genetic predispositions I might have. Like, for example, I, I don't convert sunlight into vitamin D that efficiently. So I supplement with vitamin D. I lack most of the genetic SNPs responsible for glutathione production. So I supplement with glutathione. You know, I've got a, a high amount of sulfur producing bacteria in my gut. So I'm careful with cruciferous vegetables, garlic, onions, you know, sulfurous compounds like that, et cetera. So I really set things up and, and customize things. But, you know, once I've, I've actually gone down that path of customization, I'm pretty open to eating just about anything on, you know, God's good earth as long as it's been prepared properly, right? So like, you know, a lot of carnivore paleo enthusiasts will say, well, don't eat plants or certain plants or seeds or nuts because they have all these built-in defense mechanisms like lectins or glutens or, you know, phytic acids, et cetera. Well, most of that can be deactivated through soaking and sprouting and, and fermentation and a lot of these ancestral practices of, of plant-based food preparation. You know, the same could be said of a plant-based diet advocates, a treatise of a meat diet, right? Like we know that processed meat, CAFO meat, meat raised in an unethical or unhumane manner, meat raised without a consideration of regenerative farming practices, you know, meat that's been overcooked or, you know, or, or charcoal, meat that's been processed with a lot of nitrates added to it. Like there are certain things that can make meat unhealthy, that can increase the omega-6 fatty acid content of meat or can make meat contain more carcinogenic compounds or, you know, cause meat to be unhealthy. And so in the same way that you need to eat plants wisely, you need to eat meat wisely. But if you're, if you kind of address those variables, I think that is, that's quite possible to eat an omnivorous diet and be healthy and, you know, take the, the best of a plant-based approach and the best of a more like paleo or carnivore approach and blend them together. When you combine that with, you know, self-testing and personalized quantification, you can really come up with a, with a diet that's, that's pretty customized to you. And then when we transfer that philosophy over to training, I mean, you are probably the most well-informed fitness and training advocate that's out there and professional that's out there that trains so many people. How do you define what a good training regime, just like a good eating regime is to somebody, because you mentioned before that if, if you're training for an Ironman event, for instance, you know, that can be quite draining on the body and you don't do it very often. So if I, I don't like to say that people, an average person, because we're all extraordinary, but for anybody that may be overtraining or undertraining, where would you start and what sort of advice would you give to these people that are looking for something that's nourishing for the body and will create long-term sustainable health. You know, I'm an exercise physiologist, so I look at this through the view of like the different body systems that one really needs to ensure are in good working order to actually have well-balanced fitness. So the main things that I emphasize, other than just like the basics, like mobility and, and balance, you know, which a lot of times can just be achieved by like a a good mobility practice, you know, like foam rolling or regular massage, you know, the balance through things like challenging yourself with single leg activities or playing sports, things like that. Really from a physiological standpoint, the main areas you need to target are strength, right? So everybody should lift heavy one to two times a week, explosiveness. So I think everybody should do like a good body weight or lightweight, more explosive routine one to two times a week. Oxygen utilization, which is typically like an interval training session with longer intervals, like three to five minutes in duration with longer rest periods. I think everybody should do that about once a week mitochondria, which would be very short, hard bursts of effort, like 10 to 30 seconds with long recovery periods. Uh, and I think everybody should do something like that once a week. Your ability to be able to tolerate lactic acid, which would be something like a Metcon type of workout or a CrossFit type of workout, or even just like a Tabata set where you're doing 20 seconds hard, 10 seconds easy, basically anything where you're really feeling the burn hard. 
right? Like that should be uh, done at least once a week. And then finally, some type of endurance, right? Like whether it's 20 to 30 minute walk every morning in a fasted state or a long hike on the weekend, just moving at a low level intensity, aerobic intensity for longer periods of time. I think that's important. And, and when you put all those together, strength, explosiveness, you know, oxygen utilization, mitochondria, lactic acid tolerance and endurance, you're kind of like checking all the boxes when it comes to well-rounded fitness from a physiological standpoint. And, you know, I, I just wrote this book called Boundless. And it's a big part of that book is just like, there's a couple of chapters on, well, you know, that, that's all good and fine to say that, but how do you actually weave all that together into an actual protocol? And that's, that's kind of what I get into in that book. And then looking at these two factors, nutrition and also movement slash fitness, is that enough to protect our bodies and our brains, especially our brain health into the future? Because what I'm seeing at the moment in our culture is the deterioration of our brain health. And I know it's a big topic for you and something that you've studied. What else do we need to do to optimize and have long-term sustainable brain health? I like Dr. Daniel Amen's approach on something like this. And that, that means challenging your brain from a variety of angles, meaning, you know, there, there are certain things that target specific areas of the brain. And so, you know, he's got some really good books, Dr. Daniel Amen, you know, for example, you basically have four different areas you want to target, like your cerebellum, which would be coordination. That'd be like, you know, playing table tennis every once in a while or dancing or yoga or Tai Chi or something that kind of increases body awareness, right? So that's really important. And that can cross over into fitness, of course, too, if any of the fitness that you're engaged in is, is complex from a body awareness standpoint. And then you have like your parietal lobes and your parietal lobes would be, you know, like math challenges like Sudoku is a perfect example. You know, juggling would be a good example. And that would also involve your cerebellum you know, doing like a map course and learning how to read a map and compass, that would also challenge your parietal lobe. And then your memory, that would be more your temporal lobe. That would be like, you know, downloading the NBAC app on your phone and learning how to play NBAC, which is really good for short-term memory or for longer-term memory, learning how to play a new instrument, like learning a song on an instrument like ukulele or guitar or piano. And then finally, you have your prefrontal cortex, which is more like language-based. That would be you know, we do this a lot as a family. We'll play board games like Quiddler or Boggle or Scrabble. I'll do the crossword puzzle on the airplane sometimes. Like all those things will hit the prefrontal cortex. And interestingly, meditation also hits that same cortex. So you know, if you're doing those type of things, you know, meditation, learning instruments, you know, doing things like juggling or playing table tennis, you know, working on dancing or yoga or Tai Chi, challenging your memory every once in a while. I, I think those are really, you know, that variety in terms of keeping your brain fit. And that, I think that's really very prudent way to go about things. Mm, I'm loving this conversation because everything seems to be coming back to play and enjoyment, whether it be the cooking part of it, whether it be the movement part of it, whether it be the brain health. If we break it all down, it seems to be very simple, fun activities that are very nourishing for all parts of not only individual health, but that of the family and even of the community. Is that where, where it's at? Do you think it can be that simple? Yeah, I, I really think sometimes, you know, people overcomplexify things, but it, it can be, it really can be that simple. And I think that's, you know, along with some of those other tips I gave about optimizing the mitochondria and you know, the spiritual discipline, being with people, et cetera. I think that's a, a really good place to start. Absolutely. And, and incorporating play is certainly really important. Yet I can't help think back to ancient societies or ancestral communities and tribes that that all would have been part of the day-to-day -day life. 
it would have been the dance, it would have been the cooking, it would have been the connection, it would have been the problem solving on a day-to-day basis. It would have been those activities, like you, you said, short bursts of intense energy. It would have been the long walks hunting for food, it would have been climbing, it would have been crawling, it would have been all of these things that we once as humans would have done not for the purpose of trying to be healthy, it just would have been our instinct to perform all of these actions on a day-to-day basis, which we would have taught our children. And we just seem to be in a society now or a point in time where these practices or activities or or human nature seems to be, we seem to be disconnected from them. Yeah. Yeah. I I 100% agree. Where do you think, this is a question I ask a lot of people is gurus that we have out there in the world, whether it's celebrity fitness trainers or chefs or celebrities for no other reason than being celebrities. How do you navigate that for your clients, for them not to go down the wrong rabbit hole, so to speak, using their common sense about where they get their information from? Yeah, I mean, that's a big pain point. I was having this conversation last night at dinner with someone about how easy it is to these days have a great deal of credibility just by posting some photos of yourself on Instagram, you know, showing off your body even if you don't have a degree in an exercise science related field or you know, the way it used to be, you know, if you look at folks like, you know, Charles Poliquin or you know, any of these other you know, folks who, who are considered to be like fitness icons who are actually, you know, doing a lot of, of good in the world, you know, there's a great deal of education followed by, you know, years and years and years of working boots on the ground in a personal training studio or in a gym or, you know, for a university team, like working with actual people in a real life scenario. And there's often, of course, a, a practice for that person personally that's built upon sound concepts, not just you know seeing what's going to look good on Instagram or what's going to turn heads and be the you know be the fitness move in Men's Health magazine. That's the next big fitness move, just because you know regular deadlifts are too boring. So why not deadlift? You know, holding a shaking dumbbell on a BOSU ball. You know, and so I think that the best thing people can look at is the education, the certification, the history, and especially like the hands-on history of any individual who they're looking at following. And, you know, to a certain extent, it is probably less important. If that person looks like they actually practice what they preach too, that's helpful. I, I think, you know, if you look at, you know, basketball, for example, like Bobby Knight was a great basketball coach, but he wasn't, you know, when he loved him, you know, little white guy was going to dunk a basketball or something like that. But, you know, I think you can be smart in the fitness world and not necessarily play the part, but I think that's important. I certainly value that myself. I want to see that people are actually practicing what they preach and spending time in the trenches. But yeah, the education, the certification, the experience, and to a certain extent, you know, whether or not someone practices what they preach, I think are all things that should be, you know, folks should pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, in the dietary space where we have had the experts in this field that have created the food pyramid and the healthy eating chart or the healthy eating plate. I mean, this is where it can become complicated for the average person that's out there because they put their trust into these health authorities or institutions that believe that they've done the research, whether it's 50,000 peer-reviewed studies to come up with the food pyramid or the, the diagram or whatever it may be, depending on which which country you live in in the Western world. Yet there seems to be a lot of misinformation in there. So again, how do people navigate that? Because people go to a dietitian and they're told whatever it may be. So 
how do you broach that really tricky situation where we have these health organizations that may or may not be delivering the correct information? Well, you just need to know really like how to read a study properly. I, I think everyone should just have a basic knowledge about how to read a scientific paper. You know, there, there are so many things that you can look at. Like, you know, you got to go past the abstract, for example, because a lot of times the abstract will say, you know, there'll come to these conclusions that once you look at the actual graphs in the study really are not fully accurate, right? You know, the recent abstract on red meat said that you know, red meat was associated with an increased risk of colon cancer, but the abstract didn't report like how much meat they were consuming. It didn't say that, you know, that basically the risk was totally different between men and women. You know, other times you'll read a study and it will show correlation, not causation, right? It'll say like, you know, eating eggs causes cancer when in fact, there's a correlation between maybe people who eat a lot at IHOP and scramble up their eggs with vegetable oil and side it with a waffle and whipped cream, but that gets left out of the study. In many cases, it's not actual clinical study. It's epidemiological data, or in the case of nutrition, it's like food-based questionnaires, which if I ask you what you had for dinner last month can be kind of inaccurate. So I think like really wrapping your head around really being able to read studies properly, to not identify correlation with causation, to not just glance at an abstract, and to, you know, when you see a media headline, actually go read the study, see what the actual study says, because in many cases, it's far different than what the, what the media is going to publish. Mm. Looking into the future, five years, 10 years down the track, where do you think Ben Greenfield is going to be? <laughs> and what do you think you'll be promoting at that particular point in time? You know, I think that I personally, kind of like I, I harped upon earlier, really want to focus more intensively on the spiritual disciplines and on teaching people more about happiness and purpose. I think in the fitness world, and the nutrition world especially, people are kind of using their exercise as a crutch or using their diet as a crutch to try to find happiness when in fact you know, that, that's really not the true path to happiness versus purpose and caring for your spirit and having good relationships and a robust social life and uh, the awareness to be able to be happy no matter which circumstance that you're in. I, I would really, really like to, you know, based on the platform I have in the fitness world, teach people more about you know, things that, that could go beyond and be more important than just being fit. I also really personally want to continue to become a better outdoorsman, you know, in terms of my plant foraging, my hunting, my spearfishing. I, I just want to, you know, be able to harvest animals ethically, harvest fish ethically, harvest plants ethically, and then prepare them in really good ways, you know, really good, healthy, nutritious ways. I also, perhaps most importantly, really want to continue to focus on, on my family, especially my boys, and really train them up to be, you know, fine, you know, resilient free-thinking, creative young men who really know their purpose in life who, and who can you know, hopefully go on to, to make this world a better place. So, you know, so, so those are a few things that I, I really want to focus on going forward. Beautiful. And I would love to finish with, because you mentioned the word a few times then, you mentioned the word purpose. And what does the word purpose mean for you? Purpose is this idea that everybody was, was kind of put on this planet for a reason. Everybody has a unique skill set. Everybody might not be super creative or at the same time, super analytical or, you know, have good 
math intelligence. You know, certain, certain people do have unique skill sets they were born with. And those unique skill sets, when married to what it is that people feel most satisfied and, and fulfilled doing, especially when it comes to the way that they can love others in this world, is a really good way to identify your purpose in life. So, for example, you know, you can think about what you enjoyed to do when you were a kid. Right? So, for me, it was reading, it was writing, it was the outdoors, it was education. And also what makes time go by really fast for you now. And for me, that's, that's writing, it's reading, it's teaching, it's speaking. And so, you know, I've identified that my, my purpose in life is to empower people to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life through education and teaching. And, you know, like my son, Perrin, he wants to inspire people with creative and funny art, right? Like simple things like that. And then I think if you pair that, if you pair that purpose in life with the idea that through it all, you know, no matter how you apply that purpose, it's through the concept of loving others, right? The golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, so that your purpose is not just about money, right, or belongings or personal gain, but really it's a, it's a very others-facing approach to fulfilling your purpose. Right? Like my purpose in life is not to empower myself to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life. That's great that I'm able to do so, but it's really to empower others to be able to do that, right? A, a very others-facing purpose statement can be quite helpful, too. I think that's a really good way to go about doing things. You know, think about what you enjoy doing when you're a kid, what makes time go by fast now, and how you can love others with the unique skills that you're, you're given in life. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'd start. Beautiful, brother. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us today in your semi-naked state, as I am. And, and I would love to uh, catch up with you face-to-face in person one day and cook a meal together and maybe even hunt together and have a family meal and express gratitude together. So I just want to say I love you, Ben. Thank you so much for your time today. And have a wonderful evening. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm honored. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.